listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires. That was a good testimony by Ebony, wasn't it? We probably got at least two dozen volunteers out of that announcement, I'm sure. Thank you all for helping out in the kids' ministry. I'll tell you this. I'm a Christian because of, of children's ministry. I was a little street urchin. My parents weren't Christians. We lived in government housing. I think it's called Section 8 housing. We lived in Section 8 housing. And me and my little brother were just little street urchins running around stealing candy. And... um There was a lady who would go through the neighborhood and she would gather all the other street urchins and she would offer us um, candy if we would come listen to Bible stories. Well, I didn't know what the Bible was. I didn't know what Bible stories were, but I did know what candy was. I don't think you can get away with that anymore, offering kids candy to come into your house. But at that point, it was still kosher. And um, I was in this room, this living room with about 20 other scabby little kids and this lady started talking about how much I needed Jesus because of all the sin in my life and I just didn't know enough to debate her at that point so I I gave my life to Jesus and I've been following him ever since you've probably heard me tell this story before but it's a good story this lady would send little bible cards home with us And they had pictures on them. I didn't know who the people were. And then they had words on them. I didn't know what the words said or meant because I couldn't read. But I would take them to my dad. My my parents were divorced by this time. And I would take them to my dad. And he would look at them. And he would just shrug his shoulders. But then I would go to my mom and stepdad's house every other weekend. My dad was playing drums in a rock and roll band and selling drugs on the side. And my mom was just, you know, she was practicing witchcraft. And your basic Santa Cruz new agent. And, uh, and I would bring these little Bible cards to them and unbeknownst to me, they started reading them and then they went to a bookstore and bought a Bible and they started reading the Bible and then they got saved. They met, they met Jesus by reading the Bible on their own because somebody was involved in kids ministry and went and scooped up all the little kids off the street and told them about Jesus. So the Lord's just not interested in saving you. He's interested in saving your family. He's, he's really after the whole world, if you don't know that. He's really after everybody. There's not anybody on the planet who the Father is not relentlessly pursuing. He's after everybody. There's nobody that is outside the realm of his grace and love. And that should be the way you look at everybody that you come across, scabby knees or not. They are included in the love of God. Amen. So thank you, Brandy and her team, for all that you do at Queen City Church for teaching our kids the way of Jesus. All right, so I was having this thought this week, and I, was, I, I, I opened my message last week, and I said, I'm here to talk to you about the death of hope, the death of your hope specifically. And it's not a very good way to start a message, actually, but... Um, but nevertheless, that's, that's the road we went down. And I was thinking this week, I, I'm, I'm the worship pastor at this church. And so I'm always thinking about finding worship songs for us to sing. And, um, 
This is not a commentary on the worship music world, but it kind of is. It is hard to find songs that make me feel hopeful or make me feel something where I can feel like me going from unbelief to belief or for me going from my despair to hope. And so I'm always looking for songs that will do that for me personally and us as a church. And I I had this thought go through my brain. I'm looking for words that will devastate me with hope. And I was so struck by that line. I thought, ooh, that's pretty good. I should write that down. But I am a person who is actively pursuing to be devastated by hope. And so, so I'd like to tell you a joke that my son tells me all the time. He says, um, Mary Poppins is our favorite movie. It's my favorite movie. But he, Henry and I were walking down a, a fishing or a, a, a bank, a riverbank the other day. And I think I, I said a joke. And Henry says to me, there's nothing like a good joke. And that is nothing like a good joke. So, my son, keeping me honest. (sighs) Jesus is the risen Lord. He is alive. He is the word made flesh. He is God who became human. He lived a human life. Jesus is true God and merely human. This is an ancient and orthodox confession. He is fully God and he is fully human. But when you try to comprehend that, it would be a mistake for you to think of his, div- his divinity and his humanity like a scrambled egg. He did not cheat his way through the incarnation by relying on his divine power. He put all the limitations of being human on himself. And yet as Messiah, he had a real calling on his life, a true purpose to save the world from sin, redeeming us back to our original state of innocence. But he could not fulfill this call without power. He needed power in order to do what he was going to do. So he was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And we see this in Luke 3. Jesus is baptized in water. And Luke says that while Jesus prayed, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. So here we have Jesus. Fully God, but fully human as well. He's doing all that he's doing, not as this divine being, but as a person rightly related to the father. And the father is bestowing his blessing on him as he's been baptized in water. And now he's being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So near the end of the gospel story, we see the disciples in despair and high anxiety. Their rabbi has died. Even though he told them that all this would happen, they did not understand. But on the third day following his death, he begins to reveal himself 
in many ways to many people. And it's interesting how he meets their sadness. And I mentioned this last week. But to the two on the road to Emmaus, he says, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And then he says to Mary Magdalene, Woman, why are you weeping? And he says to the disciples, he's, Here he is. He's been risen from the dead and he's going around revealing himself to his followers. And he says to the disciples, Peace to you. These were people that were in distress and high anxiety. He comes speaking a word of peace to them. And he says, peace to you. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? We talked about this last week where sometimes the reality that you've experienced as true as it may be and as much sorrow and sadness that it may produce. Jesus is faithful to what? To confront your sadness with a better reality. He never meets a sad person and pats them on the back and lets them wallow in it. He always comes with a word confronting that sadness. And he's saying to the disciples, peace be to you. Why are your hearts troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? And again, he says to them, Behold my hands and my feet. It is I. I love this line. He says, handle me. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Jesus is in the business of confronting our sadness. And he hasn't changed. He is still doing this today. Amen. He is confronting us today. He is saying to you and I, woman, why are you weeping? And peace, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? But much like the disciples of 2,000 years ago, we live in an age of great distress and anxiety. We live in a a time of deformation, of undermining, of rampant secularism. A postmodern world where the only authority we live under is that of our own opinion. And yet our opinion is not one we arrived at accidentally. We live in a time where our anxieties are, are being magnified and leveraged and exploited by algorithms. We live in a time where the church is not what it once was. And white hot faith is rarely experienced within the church. We live in an age where fear and unbelief are the normal expectation and experience of the Jesus follower. But in the words of author Marilyn Robinson, fear is not a Christian habit of mind. Fear is not a habit for the Christian mind. So maybe you've been wringing your hands over your life, over the state of the world, but don't be afraid. How many of you here were last week when, when Tanner Fink was serving us the communion meal? Could you feel the anointing on him when he began to speak? And he just began to say out loud, lo, I am with you always. 
Oh man, he was serving the meal. We were serving the meal to each other. And those words were just resonating in this house. Lo, I am with you always. Man, those words will devastate you with hope. If you let them sink in, they will devastate you with their hope. Lo, I am with you always. We saw in Luke 24 last week, Jesus appearing to his followers over and over to let them know that he was alive. Here's the thing. His death was actual, actual historic death. It was an actual historic event. His resurrection was an actual historic event. You can say it was a metaphor, but I would rather not face this daunting world with just a metaphor. I would rather my hope be in a transcendent person, a living Lord, a living Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. So Jesus gives his followers these explicit instructions in Luke chapter 24. He he tells them what to do next. He is leaving. He is ascending to the father. He was readying them. He had been preparing them. He told them in John 16, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am leaving. Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Have you ever thought about this, that maybe you would just like to be in the room With Jesus for a second, maybe an hour, have a meal just to see what it was like. And so interesting. These words that he's saying, it is really better for you that I'm not here. It is really better for you that I'm going away and ascending to the father. He's really saying it's better for you that I disappear and that you can't see me anymore or touch me anymore because the person who's coming is going to be more valuable to you all. He tells them in Luke 24 to wait in Jerusalem. And he says, I will send the promise of my father to you. Tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And there you have it. The promise of the father is the Holy Spirit. The event that changed everything. God's answer to a world in absolute crisis was to send his Holy Spirit upon the church. And it was meant to endue the church with power. I'm going to have Mr. Stuart Clark come up and read our passage today. If you have your Bible or your iPhone, you can open it up to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 1 through 8. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. In being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, 
you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he told them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that goes forth in power. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we want to say we welcome you here today. We welcome you here. And we pray for your river, the river of your power to flow in this place today. And even as I'm speaking, Lord, I, I ask that you would begin touching people this morning, that you would begin moving in our hearts and in our minds and that you would renew us today. In your name we pray. Amen. So I have this three ring binder. It, it says time management on the on the, the binder here. Um, I don't know why it says that it was just a random binder that I had in my desk, but it also had this piece of tape on the front cover with this scrawl. I just grabbed it randomly, but it says, and prayers that sound like rivers and prayers that sound like rivers. So that was interesting to me because I'm going to talk about two things today. I'm going to talk about Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to talk about prayer. And we're moving into a series on the book of Acts. And so we're starting in Acts chapter one today. Um, and, and I think when Robin and I were thinking through this, one of the things that we've determined is that we're. We're a Holy Spirit people. We're a people who have been formed and are being formed by the work of the Spirit. And sometimes we need to be reminded or made aware again of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Amen. So we're going to dive in this together. So what's really interesting about the passage that Stuart just read, uh, and I talked a little bit about this last week, is how often the disciples were coming to the wrong conclusions. Despite Jesus's explicit and specific telling of what was about to happen. All right. Even to the point where he has died on the cross, resurrected from the dead, And they're still asking him, is now the time when you are going to redeem Israel and bring us back into power the way a chosen people should be in power? And Jesus's answer to them is this. It is not for you to know the times and seasons. All of that has been put under the authority of the father. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait there because something really amazing is about to happen. And it's going to change the 
changed the entire course of history. But these guys, they had their hopes built on something else other than Jesus. But we each have our own hopes other than the Lord himself, don't we? And the Lord's answer to each of us is, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put under his own authority. But, but... You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and you shall be witnesses to me in Samaria and to the ends of the earth where we are sitting right now. We're in the ends of the earth part. We're not in Jerusalem. We're not past Jerusalem and Samaria. We are included in the ends of the earth part of this. So here's Jesus telling his followers that they're going to be endued with power. But what is the nature of this power? What is the kind of power that would, was this the kind of power that would physically destroy their, their enemies? Was this the kind of power that would physically destroy empires or bring down and overthrow tyrants? Well, in some ways, yes, but it was not the kind of power that some of The disciples had in mind earlier, Lord, do you want us to call down fire and destroy these people over here to which Jesus turned and rebuked them? This power that was coming with the Holy Spirit was going to be a transformational power. It was going to transform these people. It was a patient kind of power. It was a power that flowed out of white hot faith that created white hot faith in those that witnessed it. This kind of power is the kind of power that heals the sick and bears witness to the goodness of God. It's the kind of power that calls down fire, but it's the fire of the forgiveness of sins. It is the fire of the dead coming back to life. It is the power of the least of these being welcomed into the kingdom of God. It is a patient power. It is a peaceful power. But it is a wild and fierce power. And when we come into contact with it, it will change everything. See, if you're like me and you've been around kind of people that talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. You can make the mistake and think that you already know what all this is about. If you've been around more charismatic circles or you've seen some weird worship services or whatever, you may have already determined in your mind that all this talk about the promise of the Father and the Holy Spirit is something you're well acquainted with to the degree that you're no longer interested in the promise of the Father moving in your life. And I want to tell you that that would be a grave error and mistake on your part. If you've already said to yourself that you've had all of the Holy Spirit that you've can endure, then you're actually counting yourself out of the very gift that the father gave us to live successfully in a world in deep crisis and distress. In fact, if you're a Christian and you're walking through this world of deep crisis and distress and you're trying to do it outside of the promise of the father. You're not using all of the things that God gave us with which to walk through the world. 
In fact, it's, it's the dominant thing. It's the primary source of, of power and faith for the church. Receiving the promise of the Father is not automatic. The Holy Spirit must be received. Jesus said this to his disciples. I want you to go over here. I want you to wait. And in your waiting, you might pray a little bit and, and just see what happens. But you got to get yourself ready to receive. I know for me personally, I am mostly not ready to receive. I'm mostly on my own agenda, on my own, on my own schedule. I got my own plans. I got my own purposes. And the last thing I'm actually doing is putting myself in a place where I can hear the Holy Spirit speak life to me. And Jesus tells his disciples to go to Jerusalem and tarry. Tarry means to wait with anticipation. So this is what they do. And according to Acts chapter 1, 120 men and women who have gathered in an upper room to wait on the Lord. It says that they continued with one accord or one purpose of mind in prayer and supplication. So this was and continues to be the main work of the church. We gather, we pray. We gather and we pray. This is the main work of the church. This is the main work of the modern church. It's not relevant. It's not cool. It's not hip. But it's the main program that Jesus instills. And it remains the main program. The people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, we gather and we pray. So here's the thing about prayer. When you pray, you're practicing weakness. That's why none of us like it. Prayer is the active practice of weakness. It's the active practice of wasting your time. And if time is something that's already a resource that is hard for you to come by, prayer is going to drop way down in the priority list. Praying together is a practice of corporate weakness. You know, it's interesting about people who plan churches and how to grow a church and how to lead a church and how to be a church. Most of the time, the conversation encircles the idea of how powerful, how cool and how relevant that we should be. There's a lot of energy put into that. But the main work of the church is a work of the spirit and it is a practice of corporate weakness. It is a practice of people gathering together and practicing their inefficiency together. Are you with me still? So coming together in prayer is the practice of wasting your time in a world that values efficiency and profitability more than anything else. The practice of prayer is absolute foolishness. But it's this foolishness that God has chosen to confound the wise. This is why the way of Jesus is so hard for us to enter into. Because it makes no sense on a practical and convenient level. 
It's so confusing to our plausibility-loving minds because we're so good at the math of life that when something in the Bible says something like, people of God gather, wait together, and pray, it's a curse to us because it's a complete waste of time. But it is the grand invitation from God to his people to enter in to a partnership with the Holy Spirit. Am I making any sense today? So we are the church. So we gather and we pray. It's the subversive work that has the power to dislodge the world from being completely formed and transformed by our iPhones. Let me say that again. It's the subversive work that has the power to dislodge us from being completely formed and transformed by our iPhones. Or whatever, by the speed of life. Most of us are being more formed and transformed by the pace of the world that we live in than by anything else. But Jesus has given us this practice of weakness, this practice of wasting time with him and on him, this practice of corporate prayer where we stop our bodies, we stop our minds, and we come to a place where we look up and we keep our eyes on Jesus and we practice our corporate corporate weakness together. So my theory is that we are being formed by technology much more than we realize. It is so instantly gratifying and we love instant gratification. Don't we? I know I'm preaching to myself here, but I might be preaching to you. Nothing about the act of prayer is instantly gratifying. But it is the practice that our Lord has called us to. Let me say that again. Nothing about the act of prayer is instantly gratifying. But it is the practice that Jesus called his church to. Wasting time in prayer is one of the most powerful things a person or community can do. Taking part in the inefficient work of waiting and praying is the work of the spirit. It is how we partake and it is how we co-labor with the spirit in what he is doing. Waiting before the Lord in prayer and supplication was and still is one of the main practices of the church. It's not relevant. It's not cool. It doesn't feel efficient. It doesn't seem wise. It is not something you can promote. It won't make you famous. It is hidden. But it is the practice that God in his great foolishness has designed for us to be endued with power. And here's the wonderful thing about prayer. You don't have to be good at it to do it. I have, I have had to start simply in my life. Let me tell you this. Nothing that I'm saying right here is me calling you out. This is me calling me out. But I think we're all in this together. And I think the spirit is leading us to a better place together. So I have I've had to start simply. My habit has been that as soon as I wake up, I reach for my phone. 
and I read the news or whatever, I essentially hand my mind over to robots and algorithms. So now my practice is to lay still in my bed. I don't get out of bed. I just lay there and I meditate on Jesus. I don't do anything more than that. I may ask him for help. I may thank him. I may praise him, but I don't rely on myself to pray lofty prayers. I simply say no to my iPhone for a while and I give my mind and heart space to pray and to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced that my anxiety levels go up equal to the amount on which I feed solely on the news media, Twitter, and Facebook. Wasting time in prayer with Jesus is my subversion against those voices that want to dominate me. Listen, Bob Dylan said it this way. You've got to serve somebody. You are going to serve somebody. And you may choose to live a life apart from the spirit, but don't be fooled into thinking that you're doing that on your own. There are plenty, there's plenty of, of um, dominating influences that have the bulk of your attention that you're giving yourself to. You are giving yourself to something or somebody somewhere. But the spirit of God is calling his church back. He's wooing us back. And he's saying, guys, this technology, the iPhone, those things are not bad and in and of themselves, but they work only as servants, not as masters. And I believe Jesus, I believe Jesus, I believe Jesus when he says he wants to send us the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of our father. This was his great gift to us. Lord, forgive me for diminishing the gift of your Holy Spirit in our lives. I need the promise of the father in my life. We need the promise of the father in our lives. We need the promise of the father in our homes, don't we? We need the promise of the father in our church. Guys, I was talking with the team, the worship team before church started. And we were talking about meme culture. We were talking about memes and we, we were talking about how, how saturated the culture is with sarcasm and wit and, and humor and it's so interesting how, how seductive all of that stuff is because none of it's really bad. It's so funny, but the amount of time that I can waste on that is incredible. It's so interesting how in my mind I can spend three hours browsing memes and yet feel like I'm wasting time when I stop to pray or stop to read my Bible or stop just to like, I don't know, think about somebody other than myself. 
And it, it's, it's been such a subtle shift over these last eight, nine, ten years where it feels like in order to save our actual souls, we're going to have to take drastic measures to disconnect from those things in order for us to actually have a white hot faith burning in our hearts. I read a really interesting story. There's a famous theologian missionary named Leslie Newbigin. And before World War II, he moved to India to be a missionary. And he was in India pre-World War II, and he came back to the UK. He was from Britain. Back to the UK in the mid-70s. So here was a person who was completely removed from the culture that he was raised in. And the, the, the shift that happened was so striking. You know, after not being in this place that had some level of public spirituality. There was some cultural Christian activity happening. But when he landed there in the 70s, that had all gone away. And he realized he had found himself in a post-Christian, post-modern, purely secular culture. And he was astounded by what he, had, what, what he was witnessing. And this really interesting thing happened. There were church planters in that time that were trying to be relevant to the postmodern culture that they were part of. And in their attempt, rather than persuade people into Christ, those church planters became colonized by the culture that they were trying to look like and began walking away from faith. Because the disintegration of the fundamental orthodoxy completely went away. And their desire to be relevant, the program to be cool, the program to be hip, the program to be fascinating, the program to be interesting was never enough to convince a post-Christian, post-modern culture back in to the faith. So what does it look like then? It looks like a bunch of dumb people bumbling around in their weakness, boasting in nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we gather and we pray and we gather and we pray. And we're not the smartest people in the world. In fact, the Bible says some of you are the base of the world, but God has chosen your inadequacy to co convince and persuade and bring down the strongholds that exist. And more than anything, Jesus wants to set you free from the burden of your own fascinating coolness. Because it's a master that you cannot endure under. There's only one faithful and good master and his name is Jesus. And your gift from him is that you would get to enjoy the full lordship of him in your life because you do not want to be tyrannized by your own opinion anymore. 
You do not want to be tyrannized by another person's opinion anymore. There's a yoke. There's a yoke available for you and it is easy and it is light and it is good. But it's going to take you admitting to yourself that you are not the smartest person in the room anymore. And it's okay if the people to your right and left don't know the answer either. Because actually, guys, we're not gathering on a set of determined beliefs and everybody's got to believe this exact same thing at the exact same time or else you're out of the club. What we're gathering around is Jesus himself and all of our trust is that his work is sufficient and all of our trust in is that he has invited us to go and wait for the spirit so that we might be endued with power. And I promise you, if you've ever discounted yourself out of that power because you felt less than, you felt unspiritual, you haven't known the Bible well enough, most of the people that got baptized in the upper room were illiterate. Most of the people that were baptized by the Holy Spirit in the upper room were just regular people working regular jobs. So it's an invitation to us all. So I'm going to close with this. I'm just going to read these last little few words that I have. Because I was asking myself, why? Why the Holy Spirit, Lord? Why is this so important? Why is this promise the most important thing? The promise of the Father so you can stop being tyrannized by your own opinion. The promise of the Father so you can stop being tyrannized by other people's opinion. The promise of the Father so that you don't have to be held hostage by the fears of this world. The promise of the Father so that you could know the joy of coming under the authority of the Lordship of Jesus. The promise of the Father so that you could enter into a life of faith rather than a life of doubt. The promise of the Father so that you could subvert the strongholds of the world in which you live. So that you can come out of your captivity. The promise of the Father so that you can be a witness to the power and goodness of God and to release others in captivity. The promise of the Father so that you don't have to deny or be afraid of any of the hard realities of this life. I just want to say this. The Holy Spirit is not the silver bullet for all of your problems. He's not the cure-all. But man, he is so good to know. And walking with him on this journey Being empowered by him lets you face those things in your life without denying them or acting like it's not real or sweeping things under the rug. You know, Jesus said this, that the spirit leads us into truth, actually. That's why preachers shouldn't be afraid to tell the truth. Because that's where the spirit is leading people is to the truth. Grace and truth cannot be divorced from each other. Amen. The promise of the father so that come what may, there is a hope inside of you that absolutely devastates all the fear, all the anxiety, all the depression, all the despair, because you know that on the inside of you is Christ 
the hope of glory and nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen. Did anybody feel this this morning? I hope you felt it. I felt it. Yeah. Come on. Why don't we do this? Why don't we stand up together? It's 12, 11. Do y'all know that Robin McMillan was here today? He's sitting over there. Praise God. Do you want to come up here? Or do you want to? Okay. All right. All right. Next week, I think. Oh, man. Praise the Lord. That was good. That was good. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Prayers that sound like rivers. Prayers that sound like rivers. That was on my notebook, and I don't think it was, it was on accident. But I'm just going to pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit for people that want it this morning. If you just want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, just raise your hand up. Just get them up. It doesn't matter what you look like. You could look dumb. You can look, we'll just look dumb together, you know. It's all okay. Oh, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your wounds. I thank you for the wounds in your hands, in your side, in your feet. I thank you when that spear went into your side that that river of living water just flowed out. We thank you, God, for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. And we thank you for the promise of the Father, the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to be a people that are radically changed and revolutionized, formed and transformed by your spirit, God. And we ask you right now to pour out on us right now and in this week as we go, Jesus. Lord, we need to be renewed. We need we need a fresh filling. And we ask you for that even now. We ask you for that even now. Okay, so keep your hands up in the air. Here's the thing about a prayer that sounds like a river. The book of Revelations talks about a sound of many waters. And so here's what I want you to do. I just want you to say your own prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord right now. You just just say, thank you, Lord. But if we do it all together, it's just going to sound wonderful. Just begin to thank the Lord right now. Just say his name even if you don't know anything else to say. I know it sounds weak and stupid, but it doesn't matter. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we bless you. We thank you, God, for your spirit today. We thank you for your presence today. We thank you for the word that sets us free today, Father. We thank you for taking us back to our first love, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your grace that's sufficient. We thank you for your grace that is leading us into all righteousness, Jesus. Lord God, we praise you. We praise you today. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hey, here's the thing. You're going to see this in the next year in this church. I promise you, you're going to see this. You're going to see the sound that's coming out of these seats be louder than the sound that's coming off of this stage. That That's going to happen. The, the, the Lord is giving us our voice back. The Lord has given the, the voice of the church back to the church. And we want to be a people that say yes to that. Amen. All right. Let me just pray over you as you go. I think we're going to have prayer ministry team up in the front here. Prayer team, you guys come up. If you need any prayer today for anything, don't be shy. Come let these anointed people pray for you. They will bless you and you'll you'll be changed at least for an hour. So God, thank you so much. 
for your, your work. And we just ask you as we go to our jobs this week, I just bless everybody. I bless their jobs. I bless their places of work. I bless their schools. And I bless every family represented. God, we just pray for your spirit of grace to be upon each of those situations. And give us listening ears. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.